This is a very different experience for me. Um, in the past, whenever I've been up here, it's always been just the instruction is like, whatever God has put on your heart, go with that. Well, a couple weeks ago when Gary asked me to do this, um, I said, well, do you want me to continue the, the chronology of what you're doing? Because he's, you know, he's going through preaching each week on a book of the Bible and in chronological order. I said, do you want me to do that? And he's like, well, you don't have to do it. Be good. You know, well, when your pastor says that, what do you do, right? I'm like, well, do you know where we're going to be? It's like, yeah, First Kings. I'm like, so this is a very different thing because this is the first time I've really, like, had an assignment and, like, had to, like, dig in and, like, deliver on this. So um, hopefully it'll be something that you'll find useful and God will speak through it. Um, before we start, we have three people in the, the bulletin that we've got listed for prayer needs for health. We've got Bob with his shoulder. How's your shoulder doing? Okay, pretty good. I don't see Vernon or Peggy here, so don't have an update on them. And then Randy Knutson. So um, let's take a minute and pray for, for them and for the word. Father God, as we, as we come before you, Father, we pray that you would open your word to us and speak to us and, and teach us from your word, Lord. And we think about those that, uh, that are on the prayer list that have health needs. And uh, you know exactly what needs to be done in each of those, con- those situations. And we just lift each of those people up to you, Bobby, Dahl, and uh, Peggy, and uh, Randy. And uh, we pray that you would, would bring healing in their bodies and that, uh, that they would recover from their surgeries and recover quickly, Lord. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come into 1 Kings, um, as, we, as we open that up, King David is, is at the end of, uh, of his reign. And we read that he is he's old and, and kind of bedridden. Um, mentally, he's still with it. But being bedridden, he doesn't really know what's going on throughout Israel. Um, and as a result of not knowing what's going on, you've kind of got this void, okay? And into this void comes one of David's son, um, Adonijah, and he exalts himself saying, I will be king. Um, keep in mind that even, even as Solomon was born, Solomon was chosen to succeed David as king. It wasn't David's thought like, yeah, this kid will be good, okay? This was from God. Adonijah knows this, but David's kind of like not present in Israel, so he steps in and, and says, I will be king. Um, he sets himself up as king. He starts making sacrifices. Um, he commands chariot and horsemen to ride before him. Think of, think of like the presidential motorcade. You've got all these official vehicles. You've got the secret service. You've got all this. It looks very official. Well, this is what Adonijah is doing. He's making it look really official, like... King, you know, stand with me. Um, he's trying to make it look legitimate. And people that are trying, you know, they're, the people are obviously responding to this because they're like, well, geez, if he's going to be new king, I've got to actually get some favor with him. Okay? So they're, they're kind of going along with him. And he holds a feast, and he invites pretty much everyone, everyone except Nathan the prophet and Solomon, which pretty much shows that he knew that that Solomon was the one that was destined for the throne um, when he intentionally leaves him out. 
Um, if you know anything about kingdoms, the succession of kings and, mo- and monarchies and stuff, even if the only thing you know of, of this kind of stuff is from movies, you know like the, the first thing that a new king does, especially a, a king who's illegitimate, the first thing they do is they get rid of anybody who might have a claim to the, to the throne, right? They, they kill them. That way there's, there's no danger there. Um, so Nathan the prophet comes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and he warns her that if she values her own life and the life of her son, that she needs to tell King David what Adonijah is up to and secure Solomon's place as king. Okay? So in 1 Kings 1, 19 and 20, um, she's talking about Adonijah, and Bathsheba tells King David, he has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance. He has invited all the sons of the king, Abathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And now, my lord and the king, all, eyes of, all of the eyes of Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass, when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. In other words, they will be killed. So David calls Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet to come to him, and he commands that they take Solomon to Gihon. Gihon is a, a natural spring that sits on the west side of the, uh, the Kidron Valley, and it actually is the water supply for Jerusalem at this point. Um, and and um, following David's instructions, they anoint Solomon there, king over all of Israel. Um, from Kings, 1 Kings 2, we read, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close close attention to their way and walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Okay, this is is David's last charge to his son before he dies. And, And Solomon, at this point, very much like his father, he really gets it. He really has a heart for God. And he really focuses in on this. Um, Starting in in chapter 3, starting in verse 3, we read, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Solomon used used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God asked, or said to Solomon, Ask what, you, what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him for him this day, And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. 
Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Just to give you an idea of of Solomon's wealth and wisdom and how this played out through the kingdom, um, in chapter 4, just a couple of quick verses, um, in, in verse 20, it says that Judah and Israel were as many as the sands by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. And in verse 29 it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men. And in verse 34 it says, And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. This is how they, how they just came to him and, and how they just they came to, to just listen to him speak and to listen to the, the wisdom that he, as, as he ruled his people. Um, and these were the blessings that God had promised Solomon. So let's, let's look at the, the prayer that Solomon um, says as, he, as, as God asks him, you know, says, what will you ask of me? He says, I am but a little child. No one actually knows how old Solomon was when he came to the throne. Um, a lot of Christian scholars seem to put him at like 52 or 53. And it's interesting because the Hebrew scholars tend to put him at somewhere between 70 and 80 when he died. So if he was 52 or 53, he was either 13 or 14, anything up through 30. But he probably wasn't like literally a little child. Um, he had already taken Pharaoh's daughter as his wife um, when, he's, when he's having this prayer with God, um, when he says, I am but a little child. So it, it may be more of a, um, of a statement of how he's coming before God than it is a literal, I am a child. Um, and then he, you know, and then he says to God, that the, and this is our memory verse for this week, give your servant there and therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? 
God is so pleased with Solomon's request that he multiplies his blessings, including the things that Solomon didn't ask for, riches and honor. This is also a really wonderful example for us of how we should come before God. Um, As it says in Psalm 37, um, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. That's how we should come to God as a child, asking to please him, asking him to to empower us to better serve him. Um, Solomon wasn't afraid to show his weakness before God as he said, I do not know how to go out or come in. That's kind of just a, a phrase of like, I don't know the ways of the world. I don't know all these things that I'm going to need to be a good and a just king. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 10, Paul prayed, um, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Some wondered if Paul was talking about an illness when he was doing this. But it's obvious as he's saying this, you know, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions. He's talking about asking God don't worry about taking the persecutions from me because with this, in this, I am strong. When I am weak, in you, I am strong. He's totally putting his trust in in everything he has in God. The same thing that Solomon is doing when he's praying, I am but a little child. Okay? And so with God's blessing and provision, Solomon is able to rule for many, many years. And he built God's temple, which is fulfilling God's promise. Remember, Um, As Pastor Gary said last week, you know, um, God said to David that he would not be the one. David really wanted to build the temple. And he said, no, you're not going to be the one. David was a warrior. God didn't want a warrior to build the temple. He wanted a man of peace to build the temple. And he said, your son will build the temple. So this fulfills this prophecy and what God said to, uh, to David. In 1 King 9, verses 1 through 9, we read, As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Again, very similar to what he said to him the first time. And and challenging him, saying, you must walk in my ways. You must keep my statutes and my commandments. And he goes on and he said, but if you turn aside from me, uh, from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight 
and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all people. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and who laid hold on, and they laid hold on other gods and they worshiped them and they served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster onto them. For the guy that's supposed to be the most brilliant guy in all time, the guy endowed with all the wisdom in the world, you would think Solomon would get this. You would think that this is just absolutely crystal clear. But is this the case for him, for us, just human nature, um, whether it's laziness or, you know, he starts to believe his own press. Remember, this Solomon was king for 40 years. By the time we're reading this, he's in the second half of his reign. He's already several decades into his reign. And it's a reign where continually people are bringing riches. People are just adoring him, giving him adulation, just telling him how amazing he is. They're coming just to hear him speak, okay? So Solomon either takes takes it all for granted or after enough years go by, he just kind of decides he can do what he wants. Like, I've got this. You know, we don't know. That that part's not written in the Scripture. But what we read in 1 Kings 10, um, chapter 23, is, you know, this... King Solomon excelled all, excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. Every one of them brought him presents, articles of silver and of gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. He just lived in this world of adulation. We see this all the time with um, celebrities, with sports stars. How often do we watch them crash and burn? This, is, this isn't really unusual. Solomon was human, after all. So we go from this point, and this is the end of chapter 10, and we turn to chapter 11, and everything changes in chapter 11. And chapter 11 opens with this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, remember his first wife, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And it says Solomon clung to these he loved. From this point forward, Everything changes for Solomon and changes for Israel. Solomon begins to build idols to these gods that his wives followed. Just as God has told him, this is what's going to happen. They're going to take your heart another direction. In 1 Kings 11, verses 9 and 10, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice, and he commanded him concerning these things that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. God, in his judgment of Solomon, tells Solomon that the kingdom will be torn from him, not directly from his hands, but from his son's hands. For the next 350 years, the kingdom is divided. It is divided north and south, Judah and Israel. 
And the kings continued down the path that Solomon had started, turning their backs on God and either worshiping idols or allowing their people to worship idols. Some of the kings um, in the north particularly did try to walk better with God, but they still allowed their people to build idols all through the land and worship foreign idols. And as scripture calls it, all of them doing evil in, what, in the sight of the Lord. As we think of Solomon's life, I'd like us to consider a couple of things. I'm not, you know, making excuses for him, but, you know, think how we would act if we were even in close to what he experienced. You know, again, first remember, he ruled for 40 years. That's a long time. Think about in our own lives, any of us that are 50s or 60s, think about how much has changed in 40 years of our lives. If we were made king at 15 or 20 years old, something like that, you go through the next 40 years, how difficult that is to maintain just because of human nature. Um, For most of that time, the, the whole world beat a path to his door to witness his wisdom, to bring him presents, to just give him adulation. Um... I don't know, maybe you're thinking that that experience wouldn't affect you, wouldn't change you. I know I'm not, I wouldn't say that. I I don't think I have any illusions that I'd be strong enough to stand up to that. Which, if you think about it, makes it even more amazing when you look at people that don't fall away. Um, You know, it's, it's a funny thing. There's no assigned seating in church, right? I swear that I think that if you blindfolded me, I think I could come in and greet half the people in this room by name just based on where I am. It's our nature, right? We have places we sit. I'm not pointing fingers. I do the same, okay? Um, the, the point of that is that for a number of years, I had the privilege of sitting down the row from an amazing couple, Vi and Lowell. Here's a couple in their 80s, they're not just sitting there zoning out. They are just actively opening God's word. Usually the Bible was open on Lowell's lap and just learning at 80-something, learning from everything that was preached and yearning to still know God, yearning to gain a greater understanding at that point in their lives. That's wonderful. Young people, pay attention. Look around you. There are people around you that are in their 70s and their 80s, seniors that are wonderful examples to you of how to go forward in your life. They're here. They're all around you. Some of you, they're your grandparents and your great-grandparents. You know who I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, For those of us that are in the 50s and 60s, I'm in my 60s, this is where we decide if we're going to put it on autopilot. Are we going to coast our way ahead? Are we going to look to those seniors and learn from them? Are we going to continue to passionately pursue God as we age into our 70s and our 80s? It's a decision. It's a personal decision to make, just as in in following Christ is a decision. It's something that's intentional, but it's ours to make. We, you know, human nature is we coast sometimes. But there's times when you have to look into your heart and think, what am I going to do as I go forward? 
as for all of us, the reality is that the culture today isn't always, it's not always easy being a Christian. Going back to the book of 1 Kings, keep in mind that from, from the time that, that Solomon started in his 40 years, just through the first 14 years of the divided kingdom, you're talking about 120 or so years. Okay? To put that in perspective, about 100 years ago, the world was com- recovering from World War I. Okay? All across this part of the country, all across the plains, every small town had a, had a schoolhouse. And in that schoolhouse, the Bible was what it was called the primary reader, probably in every single schoolhouse. Okay? Primary reader means this is what they learned to read from. They didn't just have textbooks and do things. They actually learned to read reading the Bible. Today we have groups in this country that are trying to label the Bible hate speech. You may think big deal, you know, so what? I mean, what's the big deal? So they call it that, okay? Keep in mind, in Germany, in France, and in England, right now, as it's going on, they're putting people in jail for what is called hate speech. That's what's happening. Yeah, generally speaking, Europe is more progressive and more liberal than we are. That just means that maybe they're 10 or 15 years down the road from us. This is where we could very easily go in this country in 10 or 15 years. 50 years ago on television, even married couples weren't allowed to, like, sleep in the same bed. The Dick Van Dyke show, they had separate beds for for each of them. They wouldn't even show a, a double bed, okay? I don't even think I need to give you an example of where television has gone in the last 50 years. A popular TV show from the 1950s was a show called Fathers Knows Best. <laughs> what can you say? It's like, you know, in the, in the modern vernacular, even that title would trigger somebody today. You know, they would find even the title to be politically incorrect. They'd probably organize a protest and a boycott just based on the title, Father Knows Best. They'd object to that. Today, it's totally acceptable to not only criticize Christians, but also to ridicule them for doing nothing more than trying to live their lives from a biblical, biblical perspective. Do you remember when they ridiculed Mike Pence because he made the comment that he has never, ever dined alone with another woman that is not his wife? They ridiculed him for that. All he was trying to do was say, I'm living my life this way. This way you look at me and you can't even see a hint of impropriety. You're not wondering, like, why is he with that person? That's all he's trying to do. They, he was like the butt of every late-night joke for a couple of weeks because of that comment. It's an innocuous comment. It's not that big of a deal. He wasn't hurting anybody. This past week, a Christian woman that was thought to be loved and respected by pretty much everybody in the world passed away. Everybody, it seemed, just about everybody had wonderful things to say about Barbara Bush. And everything I've ever read about her and everything I know about her, it was all well-deserved. But there were some that chose to say absolutely vile things about her. All she did was pass away. Does that, why does that incent you to say terrible and vile things? You know, these weren't just comedians. These were, law, these were professors at universities saying things like this. Remember back in the time of the judges, as Gary covered a few weeks ago, the people of Israel came forward and they said, 
We want to be like other countries. Give us a king. But they weren't like other countries, were they? They were God's chosen people. They just forgot it. They forgot to act like God's chosen people. Do we do the same thing as Christians today? Um, Why are Christians ridiculed when we take intentional steps to act not like everyone else, but as special as chosen people? Why are we ridiculed? In in John 15, um, Jesus tells his disciples, if the world hates you, that that is know that it has hated me before it hated you. It's just... It's just what the world wants to do. They look at us and we're the focus of hate. Even as we, you know, as we go about our daily lives, the question is, do we reflect God's glory? Would anyone even think that we're Christians based on what they see, how we treat others around us, how we act in public? You know, there's, there's kind of an old joke that said that you know, is there enough evidence that people that, that don't see you in church that only ever see you outside of church, if there was a trial held, is there enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? Are we acting out our faith? Are we showing God's love through what we do, how we act, how we walk in this world, how we treat everybody around us? As I've said, the culture isn't exactly receptive to Christians. And the simple truth is that based on our own strength, we can't even hope to, to stand up in this society, to buck the trends, to go against the evil that comes against us. We can't do that on our own. The only way for us is to come before God, as Solomon did, as Paul did, admitting our weakness, remembering the scripture from, that I read from 1 Corinthians, which concluded, and this was Paul that was talking about the thorn in the flesh. It concluded, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I am strong in God. I'm reminded of a song that if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably learned as a child. This little light of mine. I almost can't do it without doing the hand motions. Um, remember, the, remember the line in there? Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. How simple. How wonderful. A way to approach God a way to approach our lives, a way to live out there in society. That's our challenge today, to live boldly as Christians and to do it in a world that that we know that the the culture is not only going to be not receptive, but occasionally is going to be openly hostile. That's where we live. People are going to be made, there's going to be decisions that are made. It's already happening to some extent in this country, If you're in a high-level position like a CEO or something like that and people find out that you support Christian causes, they start boycotts and they try to get you knocked out of positions. This happened uh, with a CEO in California just a couple years ago. They found out that 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 guy had donated to support what was called Proposition 8, which was the, uh, the proposition to say that marriage is between a man and a woman and they actually got him fired from a high-tech company. This is in tech world, okay? That's the world we live in. Remember, above all else, that we serve the creator God of the universe, the one that is all-powerful. We don't serve a small God. We serve an amazing God, a great God, and that we live not in our weakness, but we live in his strength.
And that's where we live. Let's pray. Father God, we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples in your word. We thank you for the examples in our world around us and in our church body and the people that we look at and, and we just, we marvel at the steadfastness of them and the faithfulness that they have lived all their lives and they continue to live. Lord, we pray that, that we come before you in our weakness. We pray that you would embolden us, that you would give us your spirit to guide us, but that you would also give us the strength to stand up in a world that doesn't want to hear your word and stand up in a world that doesn't want to even admit that you, that you exist. We can't do this on our own, Lord. We can only do it with you and with your Holy Spirit. And we pray all this in your precious Son's name, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.